Do you desire to pray more for your spouse? Do you desire to pray more with your spouse? We understand that you may not know where to start, or maybe you feel uncomfortable praying, or maybe you don't know what to pray, or maybe you simply want to add something more to your current prayer life. This is why we wrote The Marriage Gift, 365 Prayers for Our Marriage. We desire that it would be used as a daily reminder and catalyst for you and your spouse to grow a dynamic and consistent prayer life together. This book is a compilation of 365 unique and powerful prayers that cover a range of diverse topics that every marriage deals with. You can read it alone, or ideally, you read it with your spouse. Also, we hope that the topics that are brought up in these prayers would become a starting point for deeper and more intimate conversations with your spouse and a desire to seek God on these matters together. Visit themarriagegift.com today and order your copy and give your marriage the greatest gift, powerful and meaningful prayer. Visit themarriagegift.com today. Hey, we're Aaron and Jennifer Smith, your host of the Marriage After God podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Back for another episode. And this week, we're going to be talking about our words, uh, the definitions of our words, and how that shapes us and our world. Yeah, but before we do that, I want to talk about something that we realized over this last month or so, um, starting this year off. I realized that this next 10 years of our life, of our marriage, of our parenting is going to be some of the most important years of our life. Yeah, you use the word important. I think I would use the word pivotal. Yeah. Because it's all important, really. Yeah. All, all it's all are, important. All the years are important. All but, the different seasons we've been through, important. But there's a few things that I'm recognizing. I'm, I'm about to f- turn 40, which is a big deal, mm-hmm. I feel. But in the next 10 years, I'm going to be 50. Mm-hmm. But putting me aside, if you add 10 years to each one of our kids' ages, and this is a good practice for us to do to just think about it, because we've already been we're in our in Central Oregon now for over 10 years. And it feels like it went by really fast. Mm. And if I add 10 years to Elliot, he's going to be 21 years old in 10 years. And Edith is going to be, who are, is our youngest, is going to be 14. Yikes. So that's a, <laughs> all of our kids are going to be teenagers or adults. Yeah. I know this has been something that's um, been on your mind lately because mm-hmm. you have a birthday coming up. So it's yeah. natural that you're thinking about these things. But we, I did read Habits of the Household mm-hmm. last year, and we did a podcast episode on this. And in the back of the book, he does break down this little chart that yeah. talks about the next 10 years. And he even says, you know, break down oh, their I th- ages. I think I remember and this. yeah, and he had some questions along with it. So if you guys want like a little resource or tool, it's a really great book. You should go check it out. Um, but it kind of mm-hmm. talks about this whole idea of the next 10 years and why it's important that we focus on it. Yeah. And something that I wanted to ask you, Aaron, is in light of the next 10 years, um, let's say at the end of this next 10 years, looking back, what's like one thing that you would want to be like a major highlight? Um, I'd, I'd, I want to make sure that starting right away, I'm getting very intentional on how I'm investing in my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I haven't been before, but in a different way, like they're going from- Their maturity is changing. Yeah. They're going to become like full-blown adults. Yeah. And so- Getting them ready for the world, yeah. um, helping them in their worldview, mm-hmm. uh, preparing them for business and entrepreneurship or it's like working, m- more whatever in- it is. It's like more inten- more intentional discipleship. And then also uh, making sure they have really good memories. Yeah. That's totally what I would answer. <laughs> yeah, so. I'd be like, the best things we could possibly do in the next 10 years. Yeah. I want to do it all. But I, but we can't only have I the know, good memories. We have to teach them a lot. So I, I just feel like there's a... A lot of responsibility on this. Even on with their right schooling, now. I know the first few years are impactful um, and foundational. Hmm. But as the kids start getting into like elementary, junior high, high school, 
I mean, those are some pretty critical mm -hmm. educational opportunities for them to grow in their understanding of, like you said, the world and launching them into adulthood. So I'm with you. Yeah. I think it's going to be a wild next 10 years. Yeah. And I think I would, one more last thing is I really want to see my boys become strong, spiritually, emotionally, physically men. Mm -hmm. Leaders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my daughters to become godly, beautiful, strong women. Leaders. Yep. Cool. So that's awesome. what I want for my family. But it's going to be a lot of work. Let's do that. <laughs> if you could ask the audience to consider one thing this week in light of this impactful next 10 years, what would you want them to think about? I would want to ask them how much intentional thought they're putting into who their children are. Mm -hmm. Are they thinking about that? Or is it because it's easy to just, well, they're there, we're here, we kind of have our routines. Yeah. But that's not, that. that's good. But how about... Like, man, have I asked really deep questions lately? Yeah. Do I know who they are? Like that's those are some those are some serious things that we need to be considering as mm -hmm. as parents. I had this dream the day after Christmas that really like hit me hard. Like one of those gut punch, heart wrenching, like this matters a lot to me type mm -hmm. of dreams. And I was shopping like in an antique, it was like a warehouse, mm -hmm. but it was super fun to like get into all the little things that treasures that I was finding. And my kids were present, but I only saw parts of them, like an arm or the backside of Truett's head. Um, and I wasn't really seeing their full picture, face, mm -hmm. body. And then towards the end of the dream, there was like this hallway and Elliot was standing down a ways and he turned around and he looked right at me. He probably was like 20 which is weird because that's what you're yeah, I know. 10 years. <laughs> and he had this look of just like he was proud and he loved me and joy, but like satisfaction. I don't know, everything wrapped up in this expression. And I smiled back, but inside I was like crushed. It was like, like it's happened? gone. Yeah. yeah, the time is gone. My chances <laughs> How for— How did we get all the way to this point? Exactly. Yeah. And so I remember immediately waking up from that, from that dream thinking, oh, man, whatever is going on in my life, I need to change to make sure that I'm not missing anything. And there was like this urgency to it. And I remember sharing all of that with you. And ever since, I have been super motivated to just make sure that every day— I make time to be in their space, making eye contact, affirming them. And mm -hmm. these are all things that I've done before and in the past, but there's just even more intentionality. Just recognizing in the light of this. Yeah. Yeah. That that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And I don't want to regret or miss the things I could have done today or yesterday. You mm -hmm. know? Well, and I would imagine being in the season of losing my brother and mm -hmm. being in grief also highlights that reality of yeah. like no tomorrow isn't guaranteed. Yeah. It's promised to no one mm -hmm. and that we have today and that we need to be recognizing that and be mm -hmm. intentional and focused. And yeah, so can't be perfect, but we can keep trying. Keep trying. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hopefully that encourages you guys today. So this episode, we're continuing our series on words yep. and the power of words. And we wanted to talk about how words are, have shaped the world. And just how and, important they and are. And how important yeah. they are. Yeah. And there's no better way to start off. By about, about talking about the power of words and their importance mm -hmm. and starting with the beginning, the beginning, <laughs> because whether you believe it or not, everything that is in this world, including you and me, was created with words. Mm -hmm. uh, in Genesis 1, 1 through 3, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let, let there, there be, be light. light. 
It doesn't say, and God picked up or God took and God did. made. It God says, God formed. said. He only used his words. He only needed his words to create everything. And what's amazing is so powerful. in the New Testament, we, we learn this about Jesus. It says, without him, nothing is created. Mm-hmm. And he, the Bible calls him the word mm-hmm. of God. And so words are so powerful that they were able to create everything. And that doesn't mean that we, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, have that same power to create things from nothing out of our words. But our words definitely dictate the direction of our life. Our, the words that we believe, the words that we listen to, the words that we repeat mm-hmm. and there's have so much, power in our life. There's so much a part of our every single day. Like every, every day. aspect of our life revolves around words. And thoughts. Yeah. Which is what some more things we're going to talk about is what's in our thoughts. The power of words was recognized immediately, mm-hmm. not just in God creating everything, of course, but when we have God telling Adam and Eve, you can eat of everything in the garden, but don't eat of this, the fruit of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The serpent comes and immediately attacks God's creation. Using the same power. Using that same power to try and undermine, to try and defeat, to try and thwart. And so he comes and he goes to Eve and he doesn't come with a weapon like a knife or a gun or, I mean, those things didn't even exist He doesn't force her. It doesn't force her even. He uses his words. Mm -hmm. He says, did God say, and he uses his words to challenge God's word. So you have immediately this conflict, this this struggle between truth and lie, the struggle between whose words are we going to believe? And so that we we know this from the beginning that the devil the serpent knew the power of of words and he he knew that he needed to get her to listen to his words mm-hmm. in order to accomplish what he wanted in her life so his weapon to take power and authority from man it was um it was his words mm-hmm. it was to undermine and that's exactly how satan intended to tempt jesus so we go from the Old Testament, Satan, the serpent, trying to get Adam and Eve with words. And then we jump to the New Testament, and he does the exact same thing, but with Jesus. So when Jesus gets led off into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit after being baptized to be tempted by the devil, the devil comes to him with words. Mm-hmm. And he actually comes to him with the word of God several times manipulatively yeah yeah misrepresenting <laughs> deceiving um taking out of context using to get his own results mm-hmm. his own way and how does jesus respond every single time to the words that satan brings is the words of god which is exactly what adam and eve should have done mm-hmm. they should have returned with the deception of the devil and the serpent with god's words no god said it's cool don't, to see don't touch or don't eat it's cool to see how that is redeemed here that Jesus was mm-hmm. able to address him according to the word and, and did the thing that Adam and Eve should have done. But it's so interesting in talking about um, temptation and words, because usually like when you think of being tempted, it's usually like what you see with your eyes, mm-hmm. what you want to touch, what you want to eat, what you want to consume. Yeah. But when we're tempted, do we actually hear words? Um, I, I believe believers do. I believe believers do. <laughs> I believe Christians who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them do hear God. Because the Bible tells us that with every temptation, God will provide a way of escape. That there's no temptation that is too strong for us to bear. And that 
when we're tempted, there's this fleshly response, either our eyes or our, our sense, like we're, we're having a sensual engagement. Like mm-hmm. we see something that we want and our flesh wants it. But there's a spiritual side to it that before we, in the temptation, you not haven't, haven't sinned yet. It's when you've made that choice. It's when yeah. you've acted upon that. And that internal action, dialogue of conflict. Yeah, there's this, yeah. you're having this conversation with the truth mm-hmm. and the lie. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, and we and often we justify it. We're like, oh, I can just do it this one time. Oh, I can, it's not that big of a deal. But really what we're doing is we're convincing ourselves to go against what we know, either know is the truth or what the Holy Spirit is telling us is mm-hmm. the truth. So we're having like this argument with God mm-hmm. against his word and our own flesh or the temptation's word. It's crazy. I just yeah. never saw temptation in light of like the heavy usage of words mm-hmm. before, but it's totally right. In fact, this is really weird um, and a very kind of... Um, What's it called when it's something surface level? Uh, superficial, maybe. Superficial yeah. example. Um, but we went out to dinner the other night, and we they they offer, you know, complimentary bread, and it looks so good, and it smells mm-hmm. so good. But I'm supposed to be gluten-free. And you were talking to me about something, and you stopped, and you were like, "What? what's wrong? What's going on? What are you thinking about? on your face. Yeah. yeah. And all I could, all I kept hearing in my head is, I want the bread. I want to eat that bread. And so I said that to so you. So you couldn't even hear me. You're yeah. Like, you're I'm all, I just really want the bread. <laughs> I think that's so funny. I never would have thought of that if, mm. if we weren't talking about this right now. But yeah, I, I think it happens. I yeah. think unless we've totally like shut the Holy Spirit up in our lives mm-hmm. and like if, and have pushed him away so much, which we don't want to be there as believers, right. we're hearing the Holy Spirit because he loves us. Yeah. And he comes and he's going to remind us of the truth and mm-hmm. righteousness and judgment and conviction. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. So what we need to do is be so acquainted with the word that we can distinguish the truth from the lie. And sensitive. Yeah. Like when we hear that conviction, like, oh, yeah. that's the Holy Spirit talking to me. Yeah. I should listen. Well, as we talk about the power of words today and we wrap our heads around the importance of this topic, I'd love to also bring up the contrast um, of, we mentioned our biblical worldview of yeah. creation and the power of words. Uh, but I'd also like to highlight like the secular world and culture mm-hmm. um, and what they believe about words. Yeah. Um, do they also recognize the power of words? And I would say Yes. Because we've we've seen this in like the when you think of the word propaganda, mm-hmm. this is a term that was coined, but it's based off of an idea that we can use words and messaging to control, yeah. to convince, to uh, manipulate, mm-hmm. and so that words have always been messaging, and they've always been used to uh, get an agenda across, to get mm-hmm. an idea across, to conform and to manipulate and to uh, mold mm-hmm. people. There's even movements out there, or when you think of the media, repeated words that mm-hmm. will then, because they're used in a specific way, start to represent many words on a certain subject. Yeah, and they encapsulate ideas mm-hmm. in these small packages. Yeah. Words that probably used to mean something else. Yeah. Um, and then they encapsulate an entire culture or yeah. idea yeah. into it. So it it hijacks it from its original meaning and uses it for something new, mm-hmm. which happens a lot. Another one is um, positive talk, like self-talk. Um, yeah. Just building up your confidence. But in a, in the world's way, you know, I think of the guy with the headpiece that's hyping up the audience and yeah. telling them how to do this, mm-hmm. um, how to meditate on words that when you speak them, you actually start to believe them. Yeah. And that that is also true because scientifically, biologically, there's— 
you know, the power of positivity yeah. or, you know, if we can, if we say negative things, we're going to have negative outcomes. If yeah. we say positive things, we'll have positive outcomes, which there's truth to these things. It's like they're tapping into a spiritual principle. That, which is exactly what they're doing, yeah. but they're using it for their Themselves. own, yeah, their own version of it to get God out of the picture. Yeah. When God's and like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> another uh, term that you might have become familiar with recently, mm. I feel like I see it a lot, especially on social media, is the word manifesting um, yeah. or speaking things into existence. And it's this idea that if you say what you want or, you know, you're you're creating your own reality. Yeah, you're going to do what God did essentially is you're going to take something from nothing and by speaking it, you're going to create, mm. you know, what you want for your life. And there might be some truth to those things, but that's a that's a hijacking of what God intended, and it's turning it into a very secular, very pseudo-spiritual, um, unbiblical, unchristian way of being, but it's all operating in the same concept that words have power mm -hmm. because people recognize that. They know, the world knows that words and definitions and messaging all have a power to mm -hmm. manipulate and control and to bend and transform yeah, I think with a those in a society with with these things um, speaking about the secular world is they're for self and mm -hmm. for your own yep. will. Where a believer believes the power of words and believes the power of scripture, um, but has a heart for God for His will, which is going to be the essential theme of this whole episode. Yeah. We talked about Adam and Eve listening to the serpent versus mm -hmm. God, uh, Jesus listening to God versus the, the devil. Mm -hmm. And trying to decipher whose words we have, yeah. which is where we're going to end this episode. Mm -hmm. At the, um, but for now, we're going to be developing this picture bigger. Yeah, like how how important have words been mm -hmm. in society? How important are they now? A few other examples, um, just talking about like the world and how they believe in the power of words. Mm -hmm. um, when I think of movie writers, screenwriters, and yeah. they come up with their one liner, one liners, or their they're quotes that are sticky and people walk away from a movie being able to remember them. Yeah. I think that's crazy. And man, media, not just social media, but like movies, music have shaped. Entertainment. Yeah. Entertainment has shaped much of the way we think yeah. as a society, sadly. Um, and I talked about this last episode, just recognizing like, what are the things that I'm letting my kids listen to? What, mm -hmm. am I, what are the things I'm, I'm listening to that I'm allowed to have, on, I'm allowing to have on repeat mm -hmm. in my life? which then gets in you mm -hmm. and then starts coming out of you. Yeah. Like another one is um, trending words. So words that were created. Um, we see this a lot in younger generations, which mm -hmm. you were just talking about the other day. Like there's so many words that the kids, kids, the kids are, are using and it's like, what do they even mean? And who's creating them? And all of that. It does blow my mind. <laughs> like the Gen Zers and the, they have a whole new language <laughs> almost. And I was asking, I was like, who came up with these words? <laughs> like, what did they come from some, singer or uh, someone on YouTube? Who, I, who knows? I don't know. I can't even tell you, but I'm sure someone knows. <laughs> but there's a phrase I want us to think about, and there was a reason it was it, it, it was invented, but it was sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Mm. And it was this phrase intended to say like, you know, when someone calls your names, when someone's saying mean things to you, you can like be stronger than that. Mm -hmm. They're just words. But the reality is, is, that's so false. Because words are destructive. Comple yeah. <laughs> and it's the way we 
hear them and it's the way we deal with them, which is why that phrase was come up. It's like, yeah. hey, you can actually deal with these words in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. But all that, that phrase did was is convince the person saying it is your words shouldn't be hurting me even though they are. Mm-hmm. But I but they shouldn't be because they're just words. But words are incredibly powerful. Yeah. We've all been affected by something someone said to us before. Mm-hmm. And it still plays on repeat in our heads and in our hearts. And it dictates the way we think and see the world. Something that I wanted to share with you guys is a quote um, from Dan Jarofsky, the Jackson Eli Reynolds Professor in Humanities and Chair of the Department of Linguistics in the School of Humanities and Sciences at Stanford. And I'm just going to read it because I just like the way that he details Mm -hmm. this point. It says, understanding why and how languages differ tells about the range of what is human. Discovering what's universal about languages can help us understand the core of our humanity. Right. So it's kind of like this idea of like, there's so many different languages out there, but when you break them down to their like mm-hmm. simplest of words and and how each language shares that core value, it mm-hmm. reveals more about the human. And it's true. Like you, in every culture, there's a word for mom. In every culture, there's a word for dad. So it kind of highlights like priority or value. Yeah. Or uh, human relationship. Yeah. And how that's universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but which that that topic of finding that core, those connections mm-hmm. in languages brings me to the next section of this episode where we're going to talk about one of some of the most powerful stories in the Bible that show the power of words. And you can't have a conversation <laughs> about words yeah. without talking about the Tower of Babel. Yeah. Yeah. And so Genesis 11 verse 1, which is the section that talks about this, it's a short story of the Tower of Babel. The people of the world coming together. This is shortly after the flood. Short, you know, we'll say shortly, relatively, but it's after the flood. And they come together and they want to build a city and they want to build a tower to the heavens. And then they say, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's, let's make sure we're great and remembered. And so they're there and they're building it. But in verse one, it says this. It says, now the whole earth had one language. Makes sense. And this is when you think about the Tower of Babel, you think, Oh, they all spoke the same language, and that's why they were able yeah. to work. But there's a f- second part to this verse that I think is even more important than the same language. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. So, yeah, Which is why, an interesting thing that it's separated that way. Because it sounds like it's saying the same thing. But it's not saying the same <laughs> thing. Because here in America, here in the United States, we— most of us speak the same language, mm-hmm. but we absolutely do not have the same words. Right. Or even phrases. They mean different things. Yeah. Yeah. I might have a, I might say something and it means something to me and you, mm-hmm. but that will mean something totally different to another group of people in gotcha. the same country. So I was listening to a pastor talking about the power of words and he brought up how the disconnect between generations of, mm-hmm. of kids saying different things. And so he, he made the statement about wanting to go home and Netflix and chill yeah, and getting really embarrassed because his teenage kids told like, him afterwards, after what, the sermon, what it really meant, what it really meant. And he was like, Oh, well, he thought there was disconnection Netflix and hanging out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can see same words in the same language or, um, yeah, same language, not the same meaning, but not the same meaning. And so there's a reason that this verse says this because the point that the Bible is making is not that they just spoke the same language and that was dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's that they all had the same ideas, the same agenda, the same 
words, the same definitions of those words. They were so unified that the Bible says this in Genesis 11, 6. It says, God said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will not now be impossible for them. So it wasn't just that they had one language. It's that there were one people. So why why would God want to stop them from being able to do the impossible? Well, I think God does love when his creation does what it's supposed to do. So if he's stopping them, then there's something happening that it's they're mm-hmm. not supposed to be doing. Just like God telling Eve mm-hmm. and Adam, you can eat of all these trees, but not that one. Mm-hmm. He had an order to it. So we have there's these There's probably people a level coming. of protection like because he knows. Well, there's a pridefulness. So who they, they wanted to make a name for themselves, not a name for God. So they weren't doing his will. No. So even though they were unified, yeah. even though there were one people, even though they were doing this, that God himself says there's nothing impossible yeah. for them to do. Now Which is that amazing. That's incredible to think about because yeah. nothing's changed about the human race yeah. since then other than we don't have the same words. We have a hard time with our communication. We, none of us like each other. We're not unified. Like the, like we're not unified like they were. Yeah. And so it wasn't that he wanted to just th- uh, stop them from doing something impossible and incredible. Mm-hmm. It's that they were doing their own will. Mm-hmm. They were using – like the words that they had were not God's words. So they had the same words, mm-hmm. just not his. Mm-hmm. And that makes a big difference. Well, we kind of see this truth being played out. In today's age, with the construction of like so many different technologies and structures. Amazing technologies. Amazing. And in a lot of ways, we have come together since the Tower of Babel Mm -hmm. in language. And not that we're all unified, but even just knowing like English is probably like the most used language around the world. And a lot of people know it. Um, There's been a lot of growth toward understanding each other. Mm. Well, there's definitely, I would say, just because... In many areas, we disagree as a as a human humanity. Yeah, there's a lot of people on one side right now that all do agree on things mm-hmm. that God doesn't exist, that science is God, that so they have the, all of this their minds in one place, mm-hmm. and we are in a very similar situation where man is trying to make a name for themselves. Man is trying to uh, become like God. And that's exactly what the serpent tempted Eve with. Mm -hmm. You will become like God. Mm -hmm. You will know what he knows. You will understand good and evil just like he does. Mm -hmm. And so man is doing that. And so we are, I think we're, we we were at one time in the place of Babel. Before that, it was the, you know, Noah's time. And the Bible tells us it's just just like it was in Noah's time. So will it be in In the end end times? Yeah. And so we're seeing that. We're seeing that again. Okay, so we don't have to go on a tangent with this topic, but I'd love to bring it up because (laughs) it has to do with words, right? It's pretty relevant these days. Okay, and talking about technologies and being able to put our minds to something, Mm -hmm. AI. Yeah. And I know people have been hearing a lot about this lately, but it's an entire— Artificial intelligence. It's an entire program on words and a database collection of words. Yeah, simple way to understand AI, because I don't actually barely understand it, but I I listened to a podcast on it that was from some of the creators of some of the technologies out there. And they're called large language models. And so they're these super fast, super smart computers that are trained on languages and on information. So they're filled with data sets is what they call them. But what the AI does, what makes it artificial intelligence is it's really good and really fast at predicting 
sequences of letters. Hmm. So it knows the the um, if there's an I, how likely an S will come after that. Interesting. Okay, that, and, and it's calculating these. And it's just getting faster and faster. And faster and smarter. But not just with words, it's large languages. So it's it's not just letters, but then it's whole words, and mm-hmm. then it's whole phrases, and then it's whole sentences, and then it's whole paragraphs, and then it's whole papers. Wow. And and so it's so smart now that it you it can write something and you won't be able to tell that it, it wasn't written by a human. Hmm. And so and then, it's understanding the power of words. And then you use words to kind of prompt it because Exactly. We've dabbled in like just trying to wrap our heads around it. And you can actually create pictures mm-hmm. by just adding a few words into the little box. Which is interesting because it reminds me of God creating everything with words. And That's really cool. now we can like type in a prompt and it type creates a, a video. Words. It creates a picture. Yeah. And it's like, what the? Like, I wonder just, what it would. made this whole thing. <laughs> I wonder what it would come out of if we put in there, let there be light. <laughs> what? I, well, it's got a whole <laughs> plethora of history that I can draw from. Yeah. So. Draw. <laughs> it's cool. Okay, well, we're getting into like futuristic stuff here, but let's go back to some early an, an early invention that really yeah. changed the dynamic of language and, and words and how and shaped the world. Yeah, uh, the Gutenberg press. So this was the the printing press designed by Gutenberg to mass produce printed articles, books, pamphlets printouts, anything that they can quickly typeset pages mm-hmm. and mass produce that page. 10,000 of them, thousand. I actually don't know how fast it was, but <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't um, that a fast. lot. <laughs> and it was invented in 1440, which launched the printing revolution. But to understand like th- that this was revolutionary on so many levels, the, it affected religion, politics, family life, education, and so much more. And Throughout history, we see the evolution of language due to, to this, the changing of power and, and uh, conflicts and migration of people mm-hmm. and the contents, the, the books that they brought with them. And I wanted to read this um, article I found, this little section. It says, the printing revolution occurred when the spread of the printing press facilitated the wide circulation of information and ideas, acting as an agent of change through the societies that it reached. Demand for Bibles— which is really cool that it's it was the Bible that pushed a lot of yeah. this demand. Demand for Bibles and other religious literature was one of the main drivers of the very rapid initial expansion of printing. Much later, printed literature played a major role in r- rallying support and opposition during the lead-up to the English Civil War and later still the American and French Revolution through newspapers, pamphlets, and bulletins. The adv- advent of printing press brought with it issues involving censorship and freedom of the press. Where's that from? Um, I can't. I, I, I thought I put a note on here, but I don't remember. It was. Um, I was looking up the Gutenberg Press, and there was a whole article on it on mm. a, a site talking about it's it's how it affected the whole world. Mm. Um, but with the ability, the ease of being able to now spread ideas like the Bible mm. or uh, pamphlets and bulletins, newspapers, things for politics came this idea of like, oh, we need to censor this and control this because mm. that's too easy, <laughs> you know? Interesting, yeah. And uh, which is where we get the freedom of press now, which is a part of our constitution. It's part of our Bill of Rights. Um, but I want to talk about the Bible and how the printing press is one thing. It made it easy to get ideas printed and spread. But the Bible is this single-handedly the most influential text in the whole of the world. 
And so before the printing press, um, Wycliffe, who did the first English translation of the Bible, hand wrote each each translation. He hand wrote it. It took him about eight months to do each copy. Wow. But because the Roman Catholic Church was in charge and Bibles were not allowed to be in English, they were only allowed to be in Latin, they were being destroyed almost as fast as they were being copied. So they weren't being spread at all. And there's only, I think, a handful still in existence, these Mm. original translations. But the printing of the, or the invention of the printing press allowed for that to become real. Mm. And so we have um, currently... We have 736 languages where the whole Bible has been translated into it. That's cool. Out of 7,000 languages. That's not enough. (laughs) That's not enough. (laughs) That's 10%. That's not bad. Yeah. So we we, should be able to do better now that there's AI. Like, I feel like AI would be able to really get a hand in this. I I wouldn't be, I wouldn't put it past anyone to say that there's probably someone out there developing AI models on different languages Hmm. and saying, Hey, here's like feeding it the language and then having it translate the Bible, which would be awesome. I would, that's, here's the problem. I wouldn't even know how to check that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How would you know if AI did it right? (laughs) You'd have to also know that language. Yeah. Um, and then there's been the new, the new Testament has been translated into 1658 languages. So more of the new Testament has been translated into more languages. Um, and then, the like portions of the Bible have been translated into 3,600 languages, but still that's only half, half the languages yeah. of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's cool to know that the translations of the Bible, spreading the word of God, using these words to affect other cultures, other nations is, is massive. Talking about Bibles, I want to talk about probably the most influential Bible that was ever written. The King James version. The King James version. <laughs> and I just want to, and I'm not saying that everyone has to read this version. I have copies of it because I like going back and forth. It's it's a beautiful, beautifully translated Bible. But um, this article from ba- Baylor University says this about the KJV and its profound influence on the world we know. It says, when we, call, when we recall how English colonies were beginning to spread around the world in 1611, how a settlement was already developing tentatively in Virginia from 1607, with Massachusetts only a few years away, we realize how wonderfully... The translators timed their work. How providentially. Over the coming centuries, the, the Christianity of the British Isles would become a, a driving force in Christian expansion worldwide in, in North America, Africa, the Caribbean, and South Asia. And wherever those believers went, they brought with them the same, they brought with them the structures and cadences of the King James Bible. Whenever and wherever English-speaking Christians debated their faith, when they debated the nuances of words and phrases, the words over which they battled were those of a common Bible translation, the one that appeared in 1611. Hmm. So for generations, for hundreds of years, the 1611 Bible, the King James Version, commissioned by King James himself, was the Bible that people talked about, was the Bible that people used. And so if you're our age and older, because I don't think anyone younger than us for the most part, grew up on the King James. But I want to ask you, if I was to ask you to recite John 3.16, what would you say? Our Father. Oh, wait. I was going to do the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Not that one. (laughs) uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, or whoever should 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, yes. which is the King James Version. That's so funny. I went straight to the Lord's Prayer. I know. <laughs> it's because we did a we series doing, on it recently. Yeah, we were doing the Lord's Prayer recently. Uh, but many of us— it sounds a lot different us, than just the other versions out there. Memorize the King James Version of yeah. a lot of verses growing up if you were raised in a Christian home. The King James Bible single-handedly raised generations of people out of illiteracy mm-hmm. because it was the only thing, book they had. It was the only Bible they had. They didn't have lots of, but they may not have had books, but they had Bible, the Bible. So I think it's a cool point that um, any it said any nuances that were discussed or debated came from the same text. Which same words. I think that's a really important value to have. That even if there mm. were nuances, they still only had the single text to look at. And today we have quite a few different yeah. versions of the Bible. Um, where there's variations in it. And so what would you say to those listening right now about about that? And is there any, like, issues with that? We should do an episode on Bible translations because it's pretty interesting. Um, I read a book by um, Leland Riken, who's a literary professor. His whole perspective was just trying to break down the literary validity of different translation theories. Um, The two main being... Um, essentially literal or dynamic equivalence. And so essentially literal would be like your King James Version, your um, ESV, NASB, those types of Bibles. Mm-hmm. And then your uh, dynamic equivalence would be NIV, the Message Bible being one of the most notable. Um, but the idea is word for word or thought for thought. And so the word for word translations are going to st- Stay as strict as possible to the original words and word order and just trying to find the most equivalent word in the in the host language. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it's food in the Hebrew, then they're going to use the word food in the English. Where thought for thought or dynamic equivalence is trying to decide or define what the author was meaning and convey the meaning across with different words. Mm-hmm. Um, and the w- going into what we're going to talk about in a little bit about this idea of changing definitions and changing words, it matters because uh, uh, Leland Riken makes this point. He says, in the Old T- Testament, when it talks of tents, or in the Bible anywhere where it talks of tents, like a tent, like you pitch a tent yep. and you live in it and it's temporary. It's a nomadic. It's nomadic. Yeah. It's it's temporary. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you take the word tent, you say, oh, we no longer live in tents. And so to make it more um, make sense nowadays, let's replace the word tents with house Mm. because most people live in a house. Most people don't live in a tent anymore. But the problem is, is you lose immediately the purpose and the meaning behind the idea of a tent. Mm -hmm. It's gone because this house is right here. It's not moving anywhere. It's not being folded up. It's not being put on my back. It's not being put on a, a camel or a horse. But a tent does. Mm-hmm. So when Paul says this body is a tent, he, he means it. This is a temporary dwelling place. This is not our permanent home. And so we get an image of, oh, just like the people of Israel lived in tents, they were they were longing for a permanent home. Yeah. Just like we do. Mm-hmm. We don't. I don't want. This is not my permanent home. My body's not my permanent home. I have a permanent home in heaven. So, understanding meanings and words and and keeping um, original definitions and ideas. Yeah. Matters. Well, yeah, because when, you know, the story of Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. God 
scattered everybody and confused their language, they didn't have the same understanding. They didn't have yep. the same way of communicating. Which made it very difficult which for made them it to very do difficult. Yeah. It made it, it made it impossible for them to do what they had been doing. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what the enemy is trying to do in our modern culture mm-hmm. and has been doing since the beginning of time, trying to confuse the language, trying to confuse the definitions, trying to rewrite the definitions, trying to get these people over here to believe one thing and these yeah. people over here to believe another thing. And um, and also we do that internally also. We try and redefine things for ourselves so that we can get away with what we want. Well, that's not that, you know, that's not actually sin. Yeah. Because maybe for them, but not for me. Is that what that word really means? Yeah. Is that what that really means? <laughs> you got to really say I shouldn't do that. We do it for ourselves sometimes. So he's continually trying to confuse and un- completely undermine what God mm, yeah. has given us, which we keep going back to this idea is who words do you, whose words do you have? Whose words are you listening to? Whose words do you believe? So you grabbed some current examples. I did. These are, this one's a light one. <laughs> this is a lighthearted one. But when I say the word milk, yeah. I want my, the viewers and listeners to think themselves, what do they, what do they think of milk? How would they define that? And I bet you, depending on, if they're lactose intolerant or not, <laughs> if they don't like dairy, they might have a different definition of milk. Okay. Right? There's First thing I thought of was white liquid from a cow. White liquid from a cow. <laughs> uh, but there's going to be someone watching right now that's like, oh, the first thing I thought of was almond Yeah, milk. almond milk. Yeah. Or someone's like, the first thing I thought of was oat milk. Mm-hmm. Or I, I even heard that there's algae milk. I don't even know who, who would be drinking that. <laughs> they probably have to drink it. But when you think <laughs> about this, you can have a carton that says milk. But what kind of milk is it? And is it milk? The actual definition of milk is this. An opaque white fluid rich in fat and protein secreted by female mammals for the nourishment of their young. That's so, the actual definition of milk. So by definition, it's milk not, can't be f- oat milk, almond milk. Nope. None of those are milk. Hmm. By definition. they they're not. They may, may be milk substitutes, but none of the cartons say that. It doesn't say almond milk substitute. Maybe someone does, some of them do, but it says almond milk. But this is a current struggle, fight, actually. The, um, there's the dairy farmers that are trying to fight the FDA and force them to disallow milk substitute companies mm-hmm. from allowing the term milk on their cartons. They want it to mm-hmm. be like almond drink because it's not milk. And if you define it as milk, then what is real milk? If everything's just milk. It's like a marketing thing. <laughs> it's a marketing thing. But this is this is a lighthearted view of what's currently happening in today's world of redefining and relabeling things. Yeah. L- call this something else. Yeah. So here's some other examples. Um, when I say the word awful, what do you what's what's terrible, you, horrible. Yeah. It actually used to mean worthy of awe. <laughs> <laughs> which is the exact opposite. <laughs> now we have awesome. <laughs> yeah. We used, which I think is worthy of awe. We, yeah, we've re- replaced it with awesome, but awful mm. means, used to mean like full of awe, like or awful. Like it's Didn't know that. worthy of awe. Another one is um, the word naughty. What does that mean? Not good, bad. Yeah. Terrible. Um, like you've done something sinful yeah. or wrong. Well, it actually used to mean has not or doesn't have anything or is a poor person. So someone who was naughty I was see. a poor person. Or like has not wisdom. <laughs> well, <laughs> lacks, yeah, lacks you wisdom. can probably navigate <laughs> sure. how it transferred to yeah. what it means now. Yeah. Like you're without, you're, um, 
you know, devoid of good yeah. or you've, you know, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I don't know how we've gotten here. Uh, the last one is, uh, the word nice. What does that mean? Good. Kind. Yeah. Pretty maybe. Maybe. Um, it actually used to mean ignorant or foolish or stupid person. Okay. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> so these are what words originally meant and now what they currently mean and how we've just adopted them in yep. new, new meanings, new ideas, new definitions. Totally changes them. So we can call someone a nice person and not realize that that originally meant they're ignorant. Mm. And we're using that word in a positive way. It's a pretty interesting. There was a bunch of other words that I found like the word silly or pretty, is which it, don't mean what you think they mean. <laughs> is it normal for words to change over time to be redefined? Well, yes. Like I said, we, we looked at this story of Adam and Eve, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that the temptation was you could be like God knowing good mm-hmm. and evil mm-hmm. or defining good and evil as some might define or um, describe that. Yeah. And so Satan was changing God's words and Eve even changed God's words. If you go back to that story, God says, don't eat. He did not tell them not to touch it. Now that would go without saying because you'd be like, oh, we shouldn't eat it. We probably shouldn't even go near it. Yeah. That would be like wisdom. But he said, don't eat it. She goes and the serpent says, did he really, you know, did he, you, are you surely going to die? Did he really say that? And then she says, yeah, he says we shouldn't eat it or even touch it. But that's not what God said. Mm. She was even changing what she heard God say. And so over time, this is, this is a normal human thing to do, to take words and redefine them all the time. And, and sometimes situations redefine words. Sometimes societies redefine words. Um, and you can see how that adds to the confusion. Oh, yeah. And the disconnect of understanding mm-hmm. when that happens. I'm going to name some, say some <laughs> other words that our current culture is, and the enemy, is dismantling, destroying, redefining. And the idea is if you can take a word that means this and then say, oh, it could also mean whatever you want. Really, what you've done is destroyed the word. You've taken you, away all meaning. And you've, yeah. So here's some words. I'm not going to go into how the everyone watching can probably have their own ideas and the, the things that they've seen and heard. But here's some words. Man, woman, masculine, feminine, marriage, sex, love, good, bad, sin, and even Christian. Those words get redefined mm. to mean whatever someone wants them to mean. Uh and that's sad because it, it takes away the definition that God gave them and what he intended for them. And so if you can redefine it, if you can take these words that actually mean something and make them mean something else, then they lose their true meaning hmm. and, and power. When we no longer have the same words or the same meanings, we see that lack of understanding in society hmm. and the confusion and that lack of communication. And really, we can see it all the way down to relationships. So like a husband and wife who aren't on the same page, who don't use the same language or understanding, there's a lack of communication there. And I feel like that is a good way to define the current world we live in. Mm. We're we're seeing a breakdown of, of language, of words, of meaning, of authority in those words. And, uh, our encouragement to our viewers, our listeners, is that we need to have the same words because the same thing that God said about those people in the Tower of Babel is still true to this day, but he desires us to have— That we are um, 
unified. But as, that we could do anything. That we could do anything. But mm-hmm. think about what that means as a church, yeah. as a couple, that when we have the same words, when we have the same language, when it comes from the same source, mm-hmm. that's powerful in many ways. Um, okay. So that leads us to the last portion of this. I don't think we're quite at the last portion, but... Last-ish portion. Okay. <laughs> so the question for us is, and we've kind of been reiterating this, is whose words do we have? Do we have God's words that give life? Or are we listening to the serpent's words instead mm-hmm. that confuse, that diminish, that steal? And those are the, that's what we need to be asking ourselves is where are we getting our ideas from, our thoughts from, our words from? Yeah, are we giving? Are we getting them from the word of life, mm-hmm. or are we getting them from social media, mm-hmm. from our parents or family members or friends, or our own critical voice that we hear internally yeah. that we struggle with, or like you said, the lies from the enemy, the manipulation, yep. the deception? Because um, words are really powerful. We've talked about this and how they can be really destructive, and if we're believing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. We can we can be entertaining confusion, um, which can lead to despair. Yep. And it doesn't mean that your parents can't have the words of God or that a social media influencer can't be proclaiming the word of God or or encouraging you with words that are from God. But are we careful for that? Or are we like just receiving testing like, everything? Yeah, are we yeah. testing the words? Yeah, I didn't mean gonna... to list it like it was they were all negative. I should have clarified. No, but the idea is like I think that... are we just Blank, um, not blankly, but are we just accepting what everyone around us is yeah. saying or giving or offering and not yeah. knowing whose words those are yeah. and just saying, oh, we're just going to receive that. Mm-hmm. And we do got to be careful. Um, you mentioned it. What is it called when you're just scrolling and it's like doom scrolling, doom scrolling, <laughs> how much content we actually consume on a daily basis. Yeah. And um, if you've ever watched the movie Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio, the idea of that movie is he goes into a dream and he's he wants to implant an idea mm-hmm. into someone's head. And that's actually happening on a daily basis. I feel like that happened to me once. Um, I think many of you might have followed our story from the beginning, but um, when we were first married, the first four years, we struggled mm-hmm. really, really terribly with intimacy. Yeah. And we we really struggled. And we we're on the verge of like being done with each other. Yeah. And I was going back to college at this time and I was sitting in a class and an older woman in front of me, she wasn't even talking to me. She was talking to some other lady, but they were talking about relationship issues and she used the word compatible in a negative way. Incompatible? Uh, incompatibility. Yeah. yeah. And it stuck with me. And because I was vulnerable and in a state of my own frustrations and doubt and insecurities and about not, where we are. And not going to God. And not going to God. Yeah. I took what they were saying and then... Doubt set in, and I kept hearing that word incompatible mm. over and over and over again. Not that I was meaning to entertain it, but like you talked about Inception, it was like it it set in. Yeah. And then I started to question, are we incompatible because the things that we're going through aren't working, you know, for us? Mm-hmm. Um, so well, that was it, just one example. And that was a powerful example because that one word. I literally had to break that lie. Like I could not believe it. I actually remember you forward. telling me that. Mm-hmm. Like, what if we're not compatible? Mm-hmm. And I looked at you and I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? But I remember that. And that's the idea of like that idea of inception, right? That was a movie, but 
it's something that happens all the time when we when we're vulnerable and not filling ourselves with the word of God, when we don't have God's words, then someone else's words might slip in. Mm. And if we're just, we got to be careful. If we're just scrolling and you're seeing thousands of pieces of content, thousands of ideas, thousands of words a day, and you're just, you're like, oh, it's entertainment. Yeah. Oh, it's mindless. It's not a big deal. Mm. You're just letting all that in. Yeah. Ideas are going to come in. Mm. Ways of thinking are going to be adopted. <laughs> we need to guard it, yeah. Uh, Proverbs 13, 3 said, says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Hmm. And I like this verse. It doesn't talk specifically about words, but it does talk about finding that wisdom, which we know is the word of God, yep. and getting understanding. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it, wisdom is not necessarily talking about words specifically, but this is how we understand words. Mm -hmm. It's how we contest. Like, what are we hearing? Um, and it says, it says, whoever finds wisdom and is in the one who gets understanding, they're blessed. And this is what God wants for us when we, you know, starting in the beginning of this topic was whose words do we have? Mm -hmm. Wisdom and understanding points us to God's words. Like, what has he said about us? What has he said about um, who we are and mm -hmm. who he is? And do you desire to pray more for your spouse? Do you desire to pray more with your spouse? We understand that you may not know where to start, or maybe you feel uncomfortable praying, or maybe you don't know what to pray, or maybe you simply want to add something more to your current prayer life. This is why we wrote The Marriage Gift, 365 Prayers for Our Marriage. We desire that it would be used as a daily reminder and catalyst for you and your spouse to grow a dynamic and consistent prayer life together. This book is a compilation of 365 unique and powerful prayers that cover a range of diverse topics that every marriage deals with. You can read it alone, or ideally, you read it with your spouse. Also, we hope that the topics that are brought up in these prayers would become a starting point for deeper and more intimate conversations with your spouse and a desire to seek God on these matters together. Visit themarriagegift.com today and order your copy and give your marriage the greatest gift, powerful and meaningful prayer. Visit themarriagegift.com today. How the world works. And when Christians have this, when they... What they're blessed by is that unification mm -hmm. under one banner, under one set of words. Which I, I love that, just like how that quote you were reading earlier about the 1611 King James Bible and yeah. the nuances of Christianity, um, they were able to talk about it according mm -hmm. to that scripture. Um, no matter what, when we're when we're sharing about the Word of God, when we're learning about the Word of God, no matter where we go in the world, we find other believers, we can share the same language. That's yeah. a really beautiful thing. Yeah, we may not uh, relate in the way we live. We not, may not relate in the kinds of food we eat. We may not relate in the hobbies we have or the anything, but we can absolutely 100% relate on the Word of God. Yeah, like we, we um, early in our marriage, got to travel with a missions organization. We got to go to Zambia and Malawi, and that's a long ways from here. And yet we mm. found Bible-believing people that we could— And can have a talk, conversation with them about talk it. Talk to them. I love that. Yeah. I love that God's language is universal. And so whose words do we have? Why don't you share about this study that you— So in an article on Full Focus, Aaron Wildermuth uh, shares how words help shape our perception of the world, mm. which I thought this is interesting, especially in light of how we were talking earlier about the difference between a biblical worldview and— Secular, yeah. um, but just the power of words in general and how it shapes our perception of life and reality. Um, in a study done in 2013, they showed volunteers two images and primed a group of people with a specific word about 
a suppre- the suppressed image and the other group a wrong word about it. And so when they showed the two images, mm-hmm. they could see the one image, but the other one was like not so clear. Does that make sense? Okay. But the peop- the group that had a specific word about the suppressed image were able to see that image. So they had like a descriptor word. Yes. And so that, they, they could see they it clearly through the word they had. It. Yes. Wow. So, so their vision was clearer yes. because of the word they had. Yes, which I think wow. was so interesting. Um, and the other group with that the wrong, wrong word, word? Did, couldn't see it. That's interesting. Yeah. So that goes back to our, if we can change the definition of a word, we can't see it. We can't see what the image was meant to be, which is, so going back to the word marriage and the world is absolutely trying to dismantle that word and what it means. Well, redefine it. Yeah. Well, but by redefining it, you lose what it means. Mm -hmm. And so if, as Paul said, he explains that it's a mystery that he's that it, that it represents and that mystery is Christ and the church. So if you can redefine that one word, can you redefine you, Christ and the church? You, well, like you said in this example, you make the image that might be blurry to most impossible to see hmm. because of the wrong word you have for it now. So it's interesting when we think about our relationship with God and in marriage, um just the world around us and how the words that we know and believe mm-hmm. shape how we see and how we experience our reality. It's mm-hmm. so crazy. Um, we talked about in in interviews recently when we were discussing about the marriage gift, our yeah. latest book, um, how, because we were talking about the power of prayer as a married couple. Yeah. And I told you that I love praying in the morning because I then get to think about all the things that we just prayed for throughout the day. And it gives me... Um, better eyes to see those things with because I'm expecting Mm. it. I'm looking for it. You know, I don't know an example off the top of my head, but if I'm praying for peace and unity in our relationship, you're recognizing when we're kind of chaotic. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Now in a a negative correlation. So in a way, like my heart is primed to see those positive things Yeah. because we've already mentioned it in prayer Um, in a negative way. Like if my mind is wrapped up on um, seeing you, in a way that um, mm-hmm. is unbecoming, like something that bothers me, a perception of you that— Which I never do. No, this I is never, just— I never bother you. This or, is just theoretical. Yeah. <laughs> if you do something along those lines, mm-hmm. you affirm the negative thought I've had about you. Because it's in your mind. So then I see and that you're picture. you're looking for it. And I'm looking for it. Yeah. So I hope I'm making sense with all of this, but when it comes to marriage, I think it's so important that we recognize the words that we— hear, believe, and know toward each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And so prayer could be a really great tool to use to be able to get your eyes and your mind and your heart primed to see the good, to expect the good. It makes me think about all the things that we say to each other, which we're going to talk about this in in a later episode, but are we, like, those thoughts, are we allowing those to come out and we're like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, you're always this way yeah. or see, I knew you were going to do that. And mm-hmm. we kind of, we, we, uh, affirm the wrong words mm-hmm. instead of. And then that's the picture that we start seeing. Yeah. And we see it everywhere all the time. Well, and then we, we, we may adopt them because mm-hmm. if I'm saying them to you mm-hmm. and you hear my words and you, and you love me and mm-hmm. you value things I say, mm-hmm. which is why a husband and wife have the unique ability to hurt each other. Like m- most people can't do. <laughs> 
or build that. each other up in an incredible way, in an extraordinary yeah. way, which is what we want to encourage you guys to do. And so that's, sorry for carrying on about that. I just, I love good. it. Another thing, like, um, this is what makes the power of forgiveness so transformative and apology and um, repentance. W- repentance. And when you communicate in marriage and you say those types of words, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I forgive you, I love you, those have such a huge weight of meaning behind them. And when you are on the same page yeah. and you have the same meaning for words, you have that same understanding, what a clear picture. Mm-hmm. What a what a unifying experience that a couple can have because of those types of words. Something that we've been trying to practice lately because it happens. We say something and we, we're like, why do we say that? Yeah. <laughs> we're angry, we're hurt, whatever. And, and we say something that we shouldn't have. Instead of just saying sorry or I didn't mean to hurt you, which are true, but it defeats the or it uh, overlooks the point that we we said something that we either didn't mean or we did mean, and we want to repent of that because yeah. we don't want to mean that. Yeah, of apologizing, say I'm sorry I said that. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. What I said was wrong, mm-hmm. and actually calling out that we use words that were yeah. wrong, hurtful, uh, lies, sinful, and so not just letting them come out and. You know, and the Bible calls them careless words. Like we're going to be judged for every careless word that comes out of our mouth. Mm. <laughs> that matters. Yeah. So. Whew, that was a lot yeah. to digest, but it was fascinating to me. Hopefully you guys got encouraged by everything. Yeah. In the next <laughs> few episodes, we're going to be talking about um, why words are so powerful, mm-hmm. that they're more than just words. We're going to be talking about words that we could be sharing with ourselves, words to share with your spouse. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. We want you to stay tuned. Um, If you have not done so yet, please subscribe to our channel, subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen or watch. And uh, before we go, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, we love you and we thank you for words. We thank you that you've given us the word, Jesus, that he came in the flesh, that he died, that he resurrected from the dead, and that he's now sitting at your right hand. And because of that, we get eternal life. We get access to you, Father, that now we can communicate directly with you. God, I pray that as Christians, we would recognize the power of words, God, that with your words, you created everything. And God, that you desire that our words coming out of our mouth, our words that are coming into us would be from you, that we would test all the words that we hear, that we would test all the words that we, that, that come at us, Father God, and we wouldn't just receive everything at face value. And so I pray for everyone listening, everyone watching, God, that they would be good at hearing your word, that they'd be good at knowing your word so that when the when lies come, when the when false um, false words come, they can recognize them quicker. And so, Lord, we just ask that as believers, we would grow in our, our ability to understand the truth and to recognize the lies. And again, we thank you for Jesus and uh, him being uh, the word of the, his, our, your word over us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Is that it?